0: Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. This is your anchoring host, Rio, and we have Joshua from the New Progressive Voice back on again today. Joshua is one of our recurring guest hosts. Say hi, Joshua.
1: Hello, and thanks for having me again. You're welcome. I'm
0: I'm really happy to have this conversation with you. You're my go-to guy for some of our more cerebral philosophical topics. So I'm glad that you've agreed to have this conversation. Um Before we get into the meat of our discussion, uh, why don't we just like catch up a little bit? How are you doing? You hanging in there? Uh, You feeling a lot of stress with the election? What's up?
1: Yeah, actually, I'm uh, doing better each day. Um, We're three days away. Each day is one step closer to knowing who and what's going to happen, who's going to win, what's going to happen. And honestly, I think that's about half the stress.
0: Yeah, I agree yourself, with that. How about
1: yourself, Rio? Uh,
0: yeah, the same. I mean, um, it, it, it's I'm trying to avoid getting too excited about the polls. I've mentioned in a couple of previous episodes why I don't really uh, necessarily trust the polls. I I mean, I believe in statistics and I understand how polling works, but after what happened last time, even the, you know, Trump supporters will say the pollsters got it wrong. That's not quite right. It's just that you know, nothing is, is for sure. Uh, there still is a, a, a non-zero chance of Trump winning. So <laughs> with yeah, and actually that, for that. that
1: was pointed out in uh, five thirty eight and a number of other posters and pundits that, you know, they gave him a good 25 to 30 percent chance of winning. So
0: yeah, and arguably yeah. his odds went up in the last week or so with uh, exactly. Comey's bombshell and, and the polls did start moving toward him. There w- wasn't a lot of time, but I, I'm, I, I'm guessing if they had, if there had been more time for them to do more polls than um, yeah. Clinton's right. losing, and, lo- losing support o- over the Comey boom bombshell would have really shown up.
1: Right, and that was very uh, specifically shown in Wisconsin when they um, – a lot of people overlooked the fact that the last poll they had there was in late October – And the Comey findings were right around that time. And then it was another week before actual election night. So that's why we had quite a differential between, uh, you know, what they were saying versus what actually happened.
0: Yeah. And something Biden has going for him this time around is it's almost too late for Trump to try to, to drop something in the 11th hour now. I mean, I was just reading how over... Uh, more people have voted um, in early in Texas than voted total in 2016. So,
1: right. And even I if would... even
0: if even actually even if turnout on the day of is low because most people have already voted, that's a high voter turnout. And considering that Trump brainwashes supporters to not vote early, that does not bode well for Trump, I think.
1: Yeah, and certainly we we don't want to get, you know, like hebristic about this, but I would add two other things. Uh, One is we have to think of October 31st, equivalent to uh, like November the 4th uh, in 2016, because that's three days away from the election. And um, I would say the second thing is about two thirds of the anticipated vote is already voted. You know that's that's significant, sixty something percent, nearly nearing a hundred million at this time. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot.
0: It's over half, which is which again, it looks good for Biden, and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, Fox News is telling their listeners that this is also the most important election in history because Joe Biden is you know the, the um, reincarnated corpse of Joseph Stalin. Don't you know?
1: Right, I know. Right. Um, if, <laughs> w- what is your own feel there on the ground in in the area that you reside? I mean, um, just based on what you've seen, uh, signs in yards, etc. I'm
0: uh, I'm visiting my mom uh, who lives in La Jolla, which is a beach suburb of San Diego. Uh, it's a very affluent um, area, um, and. I have not seen a single Donald Trump sign, not uh, one. I did see a Republicans for Biden sign just this morning during our morning walk. That was kind of fun. I took a picture of it. I'll be posting it to Twitter.
1: Yeah, it's it's very interesting because I think there's so many dynamics at play this go around. It's just so hard to tell. I mean, most definitely record turnout, I think. But with COVID-19, it's just hard to say where that's going. Is it because everybody's trying to vote early and avoid the crowds or is this really indicative ultimately of, of a record time turnout by the Yeah, time? I
0: wouldn't be surprised if turnout is high, but mm-hmm. I also wouldn't be super surprised if um, voting on election day is relatively low because so many people have already voted. So right, right, we'll just have to wait and see. And that's actually the topic of this episode. Uh Josh and I are going to speculate a little bit, not so much about the outcome of this election, um, but rather about what we think the future of the Republican and Democratic Party coalitions might be in two alternate realities. So imagine it's Back to the Future, and there's one timeline where Joe Biden wins, and there's another timeline where Donald Trump wins. And it's pretty obvious that, you know, for example, Trump being reelected would have a, a, a big impact on the the future of the Republican Party in terms of its its coalition, its um, its policy platform, its rhetorical style, um, it, its behavior uh, in 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 terms of politics. Um, so, and then of course, if it, if Trump loses, is particularly if he loses badly, um, or really frankly, an incumbent to lose at all is is pretty shameful. Um, then that would have a big impact on the future of the Republican Party. Um, and then. You know, because because the party presumably would move away from Trumpism to some degree in that case, whereas it might double down on it in the other scenario. And then, of course, that's also true about the Democratic Party. If uh, if Joe Biden wins, um, that's going to have an impact on their future coalition and policy platforms. And if he loses, uh, then you know that will in, uh, influence the way that they think about strategy and policy going forward. So we're going to speculate about both of those cases. But first, first of all, uh, what, what what, I mean, I guess we did speculate a bit about the election day. Um, you know, right now it's looking like odds are good. Biden will win, uh, but by no means guaranteed. So definitely go vote if you haven't done it yet. Um, do you have anything else you want to say on that topic, Josh, before we move on?
1: Yeah, I would say that if you're on the fence uh, and you're, you know, you're considering because i really would like to vote third party i don't like the two candidates uh definitely bear in mind you know democracies uh, versus fascism in my opinion is your choice and i would also uh you know put out there that uh if you really think that america needs to you know unite versus this divisive rhetoric, rhetoric that we've had for four years that alone I, I would you know i think that biden is the answer in my opinion because uh, i think he is a uniner. Uh, and he will get some done versus, you know, you can see this fiasco with COVID-19 and how Trump treats science, etc. cetera. So um, just my, my 10 cents on that, because my bottom line of saying that is because I feel like we don't want to just rely on the electoral college uh, in the different states, uh, because we all know that Trump may try to take th- this through the Supreme Court. And I think the larger the number, the most more difficult it will be for him to overturn the vote of the American people.
0: Yeah, yeah. We just did a whole episode about that uh, with Alex Cheney from uh, the Yang Daily podcast, which was uh, just published. So if you guys haven't checked that out, it's all about democratic reform and why Joe Biden um, is a better bet for those who want um, to reform our democracy to be more democratic, whereas Trump is good for people who want to destroy democracy. Frankly, uh, we break that down in a lot more detail in that episode. All right, and um, that also impacts kind of what's going to happen in the coming weeks. So if uh, if you know it's close, the odds that Trump will be able to steal it through you know, undemocratic, um, un-American, treasonous behavior and get away with it, and therefore reward the Republicans for 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 backing a trader, go up. So we don't want it to be close. We want it to be a blowout. Um, if it isn't a blowout, Trump very well might steal it, which which would be even worse an outcome than him winning it fairly, in my view, because that would it would it would really be the death knell in the coffin of the American um, democratic experiment.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there's a word I'd like to take back and replace with what I think is a much more um, appropriate word to describe. Donald Trump. And I think that a lot of people, when they hear the word fascism, not only do they feel like it's overused, um, but they often shriek at that, you know, like, oh, oh, yeah, here's the bad, you know, orange man bad. Uh, I think a better way of maybe understanding this would be using the word uh, autocracy, right? Uh, That's the way I kind of see Donald Trump. You know, if you believe in democracy um, versus autocracy, then I think it becomes clear who's the better choice.
0: Yeah, and and frankly, um, while Trump um, supporters might pretend um, that they're you know clutching their pearls over that claim, deep down and and privately, and when they're speaking with one another, they know exactly what they're doing. They don't believe in democracy anymore. They know that the majority of Americans don't share their radical ideology. Um, and so they're going to get their way one way or another. That's so they want a strong man. They want someone to run roughshod over our institutions and, and, and turn us into a fake democracy like Russia. That is a conscious decision that they've made. Don't let them pretend otherwise. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's a discussion I'd like to have with you at some point, Rio, in one of our future, uh, podcasts together, whether it's on my channel or on your, uh, podcast, um, as you have come on a couple of times to New Progressive Voice. And for listeners, definitely check out Rio and I's discussion from about a week ago titled, If Liberalism Isn't the Problem, Then What Is. You don't want to miss it. It's just a lot of great stuff there. Uh, But I do want to have that discussion sometime in the future about, um, I know that many Republicans have this um, understanding entrenched about America being a republic, not necessarily a democracy. And I think that would be an interesting topic to sort of like get through that, um, nuanced discussion of what, what does that mean exactly?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, definitely do go check out Josh's new progressive voice channel on YouTube. Um, I was on his show. He did an amazing job, uh, interviewing me on that topic where I do answer that question, you know, if, uh, cause if you listen to the left there, they think that neoliberalism is the problem. And if you listen to the alt-right, they also think neoliberalism is the problem. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so uh, so I, I, I basically just defend liberalism and not just liberalism, but classic liberalism and neoliberalism, which is essentially just a, res- um, a resurgence of, of faith in the or- original classic liberal ideas that had been supplanted by social liberalism. Um, now, that said, I, of course, do still support compromising with the left on certain kinds of social democratic policy. But that's not because I think that liberalism is bad or that liberalism is the problem. That's because I believe in democracy and compromise.
1: Yeah, and I would add to that, um, I know that some of the listeners of that particular um, uh, podcast uh, were concerned of using the term neoliberalism. I know that some people might sort of like cringe when they hear that term, but definitely listen to it, you know, it's um, really, you know, obviously Rios referring to liberalism as it was meant to be not you know the current mutation that we're seeing which is really more of a form of kleptocracy right
0: oh absolutely yeah no I, I mean I, it's 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 annoying because people who are enemies of liberalism want to blame liberalism for things that have happened because people have betrayed liberalism and frankly that's just exactly what's going on there uh anyway I did not publish that conversation with Josh on um, the on the feed of this podcast so you'll have to go check it out on his. Um, channel on YouTube, New Progressive Voice. Uh, unless you are a patron supporter of this podcast, in which I, in which case I did post it to our Patreon, um, for your convenience. Uh, either way, uh, go support Josh's channel because it's a it's a great channel. All right, so moving on to um to our main topic. So two alternate realities: one where Joe Biden wins the election, and one where Donald Trump wins the election. And for the sake of simplicity. Let's assume that what happens most of the time happens, where if Biden wins, uh, that means that Democrats um, at least maintain their majority in the House and possibly swing the Senate, uh, but maybe pick up some seats in the Senate at a minimum. That just does, does tend to happen when um, when a challenger when a challenger is elected president. And then, of course, in the scenario where Donald Trump wins, let's assume that also uh, the Republicans maintain control of the Senate, pick up some seats in the House and possibly even swing the House. So basically, we're talking about one party um, is rewarded by the voters for its current strategy and another party is punished by the voters for its current strategy. And and we're going to speculate about what that may or may not mean um, as, as far as the strategy and the coalitions and the policy positions of those parties moving forward. Uh, So before we go into the experiment, do you have any questions about it, Joshua?
1: No, it seems pretty straightforward.
0: Cool. This is going to be fun. All right. And, uh, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now, you can go back and listen to this and and see how how good we are at putting on our Nostradamus hats.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a big one. So, um, yeah, we'll do our best.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean we're not we're not we're not pulling this out of thin air. It's it's specul it's infor- it's speculation based on on uh, informed opinion. Let's put it that way. Okay, so uh, the first scenario: Joe Biden wins. Um, what do you think, Josh? That would do to the Democratic Party and coalition, and why?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think initially there would be a period of about a year uh, that. Most everybody would get behind Joe Biden, mainly because they understand, the vast majority, I think, would understand um, that Joe Biden would need to clean up Trump's mess, if you will. Uh, In the long term, uh, going toward two or three years, I do see the midterms posing an issue uh, with um, a number of Senate seats that are being put up, uh, mainly Democratic Senate seats, And there might be some fracturing there uh, that might cause problems for uh, progressives trying to take some, um, I guess, down-ballot seats from the established Democrats. So you could see that beginning, the the, sort of the fracturing uh, right around 2022 going into 2024. Um, Depending on how much of the policies that are important to the left, Joe Biden uh, actually implements or at least shows an effort to int- implementing some of the promises he made, $15 minimum wage, etc um, He could either uh, really infuriate the left and they may try to push for a people's party and, or um, primarying, uh, depending on Joe Biden, if he is, um, able to make beyond four years, if it's Kamala Harris, I definitely can see that there would be the likelihood there might be a primarying of Kamala Harris, mainly because I think a lot of people on the left never really liked Kamala Harris. They had a problem with her. Um, So that's sort of where I see that going. Um, In the washout, I think Kamala Harris is definitely favored uh, to to get the primary. Um, But now in terms of how that plays out nationally, Uh, in the body politics uh uh it's going to be a challenge for joe biden on a number of fronts depending on if he's able to get the majority senate that of course would be um the expectations will be very high coming from the left now on the other hand if he's not able to pull off getting the majority senate i foresee most of the problem is going to be coming from the trumpers and the the maga uh, who will essentially a play obstructionist and uh, Trump might be even out there tooting in some way in the media uh, that will make it extremely difficult for anything to get through the Senate. And most everybody knowing the way the left con- thinks of things as well as the, the, the far right, the radical right, they'll blame the democratic party and that will go on the, squarely on the, the, shoulders of Joe Biden and the mega group may try to do writing, uh, threatening people as they're doing now, that might become even more uh, more, uh, more explosive. That's sort of what I'm seeing over the next four years. So it really is going to come down to the Senate in my, my mind. What are your own thoughts?
0: Uh, well, we're going to talk about uh, speculating about what the, will happen with the RNC next. Uh, okay. So I just want to make sure I, I, I fully get your take on on, on the democratic party. So you're saying you you think it'll be, it'll be fractured. Um, and the left will almost certainly hold Biden accountable for not being progressive enough in terms of the outcome of the policies that he and his party pass. Um, and think, they're worried about the role that obstructionism, yes. from the Republicans might play in that. So, right. So I, 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 I guess my, I guess what I would say it. is like long, long term. what do you think that means for the democratic party in terms of its, where do you think it would be on the political spectrum? Um, long term as a consequence of the, of
1: that it really again depends on how much biden and harris stick to what they had promised uh in the long term if you know presuming they do get uh, maybe say 30% 40% of what they promised i definitely think that's a positive where um kamala harris will most likely win re-election if she is if that is of course biden steps down and she'll pick someone like Yang or Pete Buttigieg as her VP, I, th- I think it's very promising for the Democratic Party in that sense, because Pete Buttigieg is is a, a very formidable candidate, at even as, I mean, like his presence, his ability to articulate and to debate, uh, he's garnered a lot of respect and weight, uh, with not only within the Democratic Party, but even in some parts of the left circle, and even the right, you know, going on Fox News, being... Um, philosophically in alignment in a lot of ways with the way they understand some of the philosophy of the world. Um, I think that will be a definite positive direction. So I think it's so important for Biden to show that he is is indeed a bridge to the future for the Democratic Party, but also at the same time, being able to reach out to the business portions of the Republican Party, the Federalist Society, all of that, the intellectuals, you know, um, that respect the conservative um, brand of re- sort of like a more mild or moderate form of Reaganite type of Republican, you know? Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So again, we're, we're, we're moving over a bit into the, um, speculation about the, the, um, the RNC. Okay. So I th- if I'm understanding you correctly, you think that there are two possible outcomes with a Biden win as far as the Democratic coalition is concerned. One is Biden manages to pass enough of his platform Um, I'm reluctant to call it promises because I, I think only fools think that, you know, when a politician says their platform, it means that it's a promise. (laughs) We all know, I mean, it's more like maybe a promise to like try because, you know, of course they can't do it unilaterally. Um, but you know, that said, there are a lot of fools, um, out there who vote. So I think that's relevant to our analysis here. So if he succeeds at doing that, um, Doing a substantial portion of his platform successfully, uh, then you think that the DNC will be able to hold on to at least sort of the center-left progressives, even if the far left never comes on board with that with that vision. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? Whereas if Biden yeah. doesn't succeed at it, then he may even he and the party may even alienate further center-left progressives, um, and, uh, and that would result in the party remaining more centrist or even center-right long-term? Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Absolutely. And I would add one more piece to that, uh, how important the VP slot becomes in 2024, presuming Biden steps down. You know, if, if uh, Kamala does pick up someone like Andrew Yang or Pete Buttigieg, then I, yes, I think that that promise of uh, success for the Democratic Party beyond that is is quite high.
0: Now Harris Yang definitely has a good ring to it, uh, but we can I, I I don't necessarily agree that Harris would, would be a shoo-in for the uh, primary. But okay, now um, and of course you know it's possible Biden might decide to run again, even though he said he won't. Um, okay, yeah, I I think I mostly agree with your analysis of uh of the future of the Democratic Party. I don't think that it. I don't see any possible future where a Biden win means that the Democrats move far left. Um, which seems to be the concern that, you know, reluctant Trump voters have. They're buying into this idea that Biden is a a pawn of of the socialists. Um, I just don't see that happening. Apart from the obvious fact that, you know, the demographics are what they are. And as older generations die and younger people, assuming younger people stay pro-socialism as they get older, which is a big assumption that is not necessarily true. And there are studies that show people get more conservative as they age. Uh, but if that all happens, then I could see the Democratic Party eventually moving more toward the hard left, but not because Biden won. If anything, Biden would probably slow that process either way, either by de-radicalizing the center left um, or by the center left uh, and the far left, both leaving the party and therefore uh, leaving it in the hands of um, of establishment conservative Democrats.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, you know, when we're, we're thinking about people like Pete Buttigieg or Andrew Yang, Kamala Harris, Biden, we're thinking of capitalists, right, at the core, um, fundamentally not changing that, but definitely open to policy changes and agenda changes and the way we approach, you know, um, solutions, you know, that they're open to, and they are most definitely open to some social, um, you know, uh, ways of, of, of you know, doing um Solutions, right? Um, but ultimately, going over to the Bernie camp and all of that, I don't see that happening. Uh, I do think it, what instead might happen is if Biden is not successful at least showing that he is, you know, lending an olive branch to the left wing, to the sort of socialist DSA parts, then you might see um, people try to, through the grassroots, do uh, ranked choice voting, etc., try to uh, push a third party. Ultimately, and that would take a number of years. That could take 5, 10, 15 years to really – it might cause problems in elections, though, particularly midterms and and uh, presidential elections. That That could cause some problems, ultimately, benefiting yeah, yeah. the GOP, radical portions of the GOP, in fact, as a response sure. to the radical left.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point. And again, leading into the RNC. All right. Uh, so we've both said what we think is likely to happen with the Democratic Party. And I think we largely agree. Um, if Biden wins, it's not going to become a socialist party as a consequence of that, despite what, uh, um, you know, fire and brimstone Trump supporters are claiming. Um what about the RNC? If Biden wins, what do you think they're going to do, or how how they're going to they're going to you know have a wake up call um, and say, "Gosh, this this Trumpism thing maybe worked for us in the short term, but it seems kind of bad for our brand in the long term." Let's rethink our strategy. Let's rethink our platform. Um, what do you what do you think the the RNC would do in that case?
1: Wow, that's an, a more interesting and difficult question because the way I understand. Um where they stand currently would be as you pointed out the trumpian part which is the traditionalist part that essentially is about guns and abortion um you know identity politics that really is uh, coupled with corporate socialism right um trade policies that are protectionistic in nature you know almost a bernie-esque um Mutation of, of a GOP <laughs> expression of that, right? If that makes any sense. On the other hand, you have again the intellectual based, um, you know, uh, that are more uh, looking through the lens of economics and um, and conservative policies. Uh, I think that
0: right, but I guess so I guess the first the first thing that you would need to ask yourself to us to um, evaluate this. Is would the RNC try to hold on to Trump's, the, the, the part of their base that loves Donald Trump? Um, or would they kind of move away from them, go back to taking them for granted and, you know, just pandering them a little bit here and there? Uh, but, you know, maybe look for more of like Mitt Romney, John McCain style people, um, mm-hmm. Paul Ryan, yeah. Marco I Rubio.
1: It's hard to it's hard to say, you know. Like I know intellectually, we'd like to say logically, yes. That's why I'm hesitating because I think the logical thing to do would be do exactly what you're that you're um, saying here, which is that they they have a, an awakening and they realize that this brand of rackle right um, doing politics is is not is not helpful, right? Not only to the nation, but ultimately to the GOP, it could implode and you know, they could go the way of the Whigs, right? Um but unfortunately they they're so they're so enraptured into um, the religious sort of brand of, you know, they've sort of made the deal with the devil many years ago with Carl Rove and all of those people. Um and that's resulted in now a six three Supreme Court that many people speculate is driven by um you know, um, dogma, you know, like religion, right? That's really their central go. And you've seen that over the course of the past 40 years. So that's why I'm having such a difficult time parsing parsing through that. Um, I think it, could, it really could go either way. But the ultimate answer is I think Biden winning is exactly what they need in order to have that root awakening at some point. Now, the question to me isn't that they'll have it. I think they will. I think it's more a question how long it will take for them to untangle themselves, untangle themselves from the Trumpian style of politics. Uh, That could take five years, that could take 20 years. But the sooner they do that, I think the better it will be for them and they can reinvent themselves and get back to their conservative roots.
0: Yeah, um, I think I largely agree with that as well. Um, let me think about this for a second. Basically, if if uh, if Trump, I, I think that in the short term, if Biden wins, um, and particularly if it's a if it's a big embarrassing win, um, which is very possible, yeah, but by no means guaranteed, so vote. Um, But if Biden wins, I think that the party will start to throw Trump and his family under the bus relatively quickly. Um, But to the extent that some members of the party are reluctant to do that publicly, it won't be because of any loyalty to Trump. It'll be because they're worried about upsetting Trump's supporters. Uh, So I think in the very short term, you will see Donald Trump saying falsely that it was, you know, a stolen election Um, he's going to try to get, um, his rabble to, uh, commit acts of violence and terrorism. Um, might even try to stir up like a little mini civil war. Um, but again, the extent to which he's successful at any of that will depend on how close it was. If it was a blowout for Biden, he's not going to have the credibility, um, even with Republicans, uh, to make much of a case for that, no matter how much they might want to believe it. Just the most crackpotty uh, tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorists will will go along with it in that case. Whereas if it's close and he doesn't, well, in this scenario Biden wins, so that means that he tries to to, to uh, steal it but loses, possibly because the Democrats also took the Senate or at least took a little bit more of the House. Um, in this case, actually, the House would be more relevant because the House is what v- would be voting on on the on the president. The Senate would be voting on the vice president in a lot of these scenarios. So anyway, um what does all that mean? What that means is I think that they will be reluctant to upset Trump's voters, but they will start to they'll start to say things, statements that are carefully calibrated to distance themselves from Trump and his family. Right. So I would expect people like Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan to do this, right? Um, but but also without going too far and and hurting his voters' feelings too much. That's what I would expect in the short term. In the long term, yeah, I I think that the the um, the elites of the Republican Party, most of them are still the former establishment. Uh, Trumpkins uh, were were able to unseat some some establishment people in the last four years, but not that many of them. Um, so I think the elites of the Republican Party were always just kind of tolerating Trump for the sake of. Uh, short-term gains and power. Uh, So I would not expect them to have any loyalty to Trumpism or especially any loyalty to their, to his voters, Uh, because the Trump's voters are some of the most credulous human beings alive. And they're the easiest people to dupe um, that you can find. So it should be quite easy for the GOP to return to some of its conservative roots and just continue to pander to and uh, cynically manipulate Trump's voters without giving them much of anything. That's what I would think. You have a take on that, Josh?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it is important ultimately for them to recapture their essential identity, you know, that they've had for like over 100 years as a party of business and revive sort of that optimistic rhetoric of freedom and enterprise, you know, internationalism, alliance building, uh, informed policy, embracing uh, diversity and immigration. You know, that that was always my understanding of the GOP. Um, so I do. Th- I agree with you. um, but I, I, I guess, what are your, what is your thought? I mean, you mentioned you felt that the Trumpian part or the MAGA part of the Republican Party are easily duped. But my question to you is, what percentage or uh, to what degree do you think that they dominate um, the psychosis of the way we understand GOP today? And how long will that take to... Restore, if you will, or recapture.
0: Um, like I said, it, it depends on how how badly Trump is walloped in this scenario. So if it's close, mm-hmm. um, then I would expect the the base and and even the GOP leadership to cling a little more closely to the Trumpist narrative for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he's walloped, I think that the the distancing would happen pretty fast. Um, now let's talk about policy. Um, how do I put this? I think that I think that Trump will have done so much damage to the to the GOP brand that if they want to go back to small government, fiscally conservative policy as their guiding light, and and, and as and being a party of business, as you say. Then that means that, of course, they're going to have to move away from the trade wars, the protectionism, the tariffs, which the establishment of the GOP never liked in the first place. Um, it does mean that they would probably take more of like a, the Marco Rubio path of uh, moderating on immigration, um, and I would personally like to see them moderate more on on other social issues, but I consider that less likely. Although I do think that that the case could be made that. If they really want to be the party of business, then not only should they stop um, giving a lot of power to the Trumpkins, but they might even want to to trade the alienation of some of them um, in exchange for being able to reach out to economically right wing voters in um, on the coasts. Um, But that would be much a much more long term thing. And it would require, uh, rebranding the party with a new leader, uh, who is the opposite of Donald Trump and, and, persona. Um, it would involve having, choosing, nominating, a a presidential candidate, for example, um, who can take, take, frankly, almost more of like a Buddha judge line on, on religion, which is like, you know, I'm religious, I'm a Christian. Um, I have my personal beliefs, but you know, I, uh, that's not really the government's job to tell people what their beliefs are supposed to be. Um, that would be uh, that would be a wonderful thing. That would be really good for the party, and it would take it would take a character like that um, in order to have in order for the GOP to have any chance of ever really truly being a party of business again. Because right now, while well, it's dependent upon voters in deindustrializing flyover states, who you know, poor states that are not productive that take more in um, federal benefits than they contribute in federal taxes because they don't make any money. Um, You know, people whose jobs are being automated away. um, They're going to have to stop being dependent on those States. They're going to have to become competitive on the coasts if they ever want to be a party of business and capitalism again. So I'm, I'm a little worried that if they don't manage to do that, and it is going to be a hard, a hard uh, fight because unfortunately um, for that to happen, somebody would need to be voting for this socially moderate, fiscally conservative candidate in the primary in order for them to win the primary. Uh, so I, I, I think probably what would happen is I'd probably switch my um, party affiliation to Republican, not, not necessarily because I plan to vote for the Republican candidate, but because at that point I would want to uh, play a role in uh, influencing the party uh, to take more of that path. And if, it, if they don't take that path, then I think that they will, their party will be in decline for a long time, and and c- could even go the way of the wigs, so they bet they better they better do it if they know it's good for them.
1: Yeah, I would add uh, one other potential outcome from a Trump wipeout, and that would be an emphasis on rebuilding their character brand uh, because they were always known as the party that. Uh, branded being of high character and high quality, right? And now they've become duplicitous and hypocritical and divisive uh, viewing, you know, Trump labeling Democrats as the enemy as opposed to the opponent. And so I think that's not a good way forward, you know, restoring um, their ability to work across the aisle because business people have to know how to make businesses. And Trump doesn't really make business you know like business deals he really intimidates and coerces people um to his autocratic tendencies you know that's not business you know that's the opposite of business and i think that that labeling of of gop is effacing of it's what it's always known been known for character wise
0: yeah, I completely agree with that, and that's actually the easy part. Um, distancing themselves from Trump's toxic character and noxious personality—that uh, part will be easy, at least in terms of uh, of, of their own branding.
1: Whether well, or not, I, whether or voters. Be-
0: go, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I bring that up because um, you know it, that it'd be one thing if it was just Trump, but you saw how lock and step a number of the GOP were—you know—turning a blind eye. Uh, to so much of his corruption and borderline uh, uh, illegal uh, adventures. So um, I'm not sure how much of that, you know, if you're thinking about people like uh, Flake or someone like that, then I would, but how much of that, of the party are the Romneys, uh, the Flakes or the Crenshaw's or whatever, you know, versus the Lindsey Graham's and the McConnell's that just lock and step with Donald Trump and everything he does, you know, is, is, kiss his butt yes right.
0: but they're locked up with him right now because he has power mm-hmm. when he is Im- embarrassed um i don't think they will be locked up with him anymore i i think that it is uh very cynical on their part i don't mm-hmm. think they really genuinely like trump like not even a little bit mm-hmm. not even lindsey graham no no i think that i think that uh t- putting forward people with better character and less noxious noxious personalities um that will be easy. But I was just saying on the uh, moderating on the social issues is absolutely necessary in order for them to be competitive outside of the deep red flyover states. And and again, those deep red flyover states are not states that should be part of a capitalist party. Frankly, they should be um, they should be in the socialist party. Um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and 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 they kind of are. They've sort of turned Trump's uh, Trump's movement has kind of turned the GOP into this weird situation where Trump is actually to the left of Biden on trade and foreign policy and and also on the rule of law, um, and those are the things that the president actually has power over. you know, domestic issues, the president doesn't make the laws other than just signing them. Um, and and that so on the on the subjects that the, the that the president has the most influence, trade and um, foreign policy, um, where they have this kind of weird, Sort of lefty pacifism, this sort of isolationism. Um, that's, uh, that's 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 because that's because of the fact that their voters, they have the wrong voters for the party they want to be. There's a mismatch between their voters and the party they need to be if they want to be the party of business. And so what I'm saying is, there's no way for them to attract the voters they need to be the capitalist party, which is, you know, um, people in California and New York. Um, people who are actual capitalists, who are successful, who are making the money and who are paying the taxes, right? They need those people to vote for them because those are the people who uh, actually benefit from a capitalist party. Um, whereas, you know, what, what, what you're dealing with in, in Trump voters essentially are just ex-Dixiecrats who were never properly right-wing and only voted Republican because uh, they moved away from the Democratic Party over civil rights issue, over civil rights issues. In the very first episode of this podcast, Corey asked me what I thought about Trump voters and I said they're racist socialists and I stand by that.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say that they're uh, a group of uh, anti-establishment. That's the way they view themselves and and they share that in common with the Bernie you know, movement. Uh, so the right and the left share that uh, contrarian approach to doing politics or at least their understanding of how to do it, which is a form of idealism and dogma and blaming you know someone must be put on the cross you know in this case it's you know a gop uh, consensus builder republican or, or democrat that also seeking consensus building and understands how politics really works on the floor you know um this sort of like activism idealism of uh, the civil rights movement um the founding of america through the uh Pouring tea in the harbor, you know, it's a glorified, dramatized romanticism. You know that really has imploded. A form of populism, um, in my opinion, from a lot of people that don't truly understand how politics works and has lost faith in the government. And yeah, so we definitely have to figure out how we can address that. If that's well, you say it.
0: they've lost faith in the government, but they also want a strong man. Um, to solve all their problems through big government policies, right? You know, the there, there was a time when the Republicans would have told them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but not Donald Trump. He says, oh, you poor thing. This isn't your fault. This is all the fault of the elites in Washington. You did nothing wrong. You have no personal responsibility. You have nothing to learn about. Just put me in there and give me all the power, and I'll fix it for you through the government. I'll fix it for you by, mm-hmm. by hiking taxes on, on imports from evil countries like Canada and right i mean it's so laughable i mean it's like ronald reagan must be rolling over in his grave for fuck's sake
1: well you know it's it's that notion that if i could run the government i would run it better uh you know in this case from the left wing which would be a socialist brand which is obviously a better mutation in their opinion on the right you know it's like the smaller the government uh, of course they're duped by trump (laughs) they don't probably likely even understand that he's doing the opposite of what they think he's doing. Uh, let's blame the Mexicans. Let's blame, you know, China, let's blame whoever we can blame, uh, the gays, the transgender people, the council culture, you know, um, it's really not, I mean, I think there's,
0: I think there's some truth to that, but like, the, the problem is we're dealing with, with so many moving pieces here, right? Um, you, you have the Trump voters, you have Donald Trump himself, And then you have the Republican Party and 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 they seem to be in lockstep. But in a lot of ways, they're they're really not. Um, So you said Trump's not doing what his voters want. Well, he's doing some of it. I mean, he's doing the trade war, the unilateral trade war with the whole world um, to extremely deleterious results. Um, It's not saving jobs because we're actually losing them to automation, but he's doing it. It's costing American businesses.
1: Yeah, I'm
0: just saying like on, on, on foreign policy, um, you know, he's cozying up to dictators and uh, hurting our allies. Right. I mean, he's he's taken he's taken a um, a foreign policy trajectory that is a 180 from the bipartisan um, consensus that we've had about who our friends are and who our, in- our enemies are since World War II, Right. Instead of being the leaders of the free world, we're now the leaders of the unfree world. We're now setting the example about how to be an autocracy and and we're cozying up to other autocracies because, you know, those are the ones Trump respects. So I, I agree that on certain things like, I guess you could say like deregulation, maybe um, people, make a, people on the left make a big deal out of the fact that Trump, quote, tried to defund Social Security. I mean, really what he was trying to do was just temporarily um, give some relief on um, – uh payroll taxes during a pandemic wouldn't really have resulted in defending social security. Social security in the long term is in trouble anyway. Like serious trouble. Um and, and and Trump's campaigning right now saying I'll protect social security and Medicare. And if he gets reelected, I believe he will. I believe he will to the whatever extent he can. Um and, and he's not the only Republican who who is afraid to do and you know like Paul Ryan might want to cut those things or gut those things or end those things but that's never been popular um with the Republican base because so many of them are old and they're you know again uh, at this point a lot of them are 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 not particularly well off um so yeah i mean like on some things he's 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 going behaving differently from what he told his supporters that's true um but he's also delivering on a lot of stuff and on the social issues he's he's delivering with uh uh, appointing judges and so forth. So there's, there's, so there's a lot of moving parts. Um, right. and I don't think that I, apart from deregulation, um, I don't think that there's much of anything that Trump's done to shrink government. I mean, he's expanded executive power. He's, he's abused executive power, um, at a level that makes what Obama was doing look like, you know, child's play. um, and the, the deficit was exploding even before COVID. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think that you can make the case that it's not just I know that a lot of people on the left, uh, my my other uh, recurring co-host, um, Aaron Hubbard, made a big deal out of this. He really he really wants to pre- he prefers to believe that Trump is a right wing populist who's just telling you know, working class people, what they want to hear, which might sound like some lefty, relatively lefty promises, but in practice, he's just, you know, just another normal right wing Republican in his behavior. And I just don't see that. I don't think that's true. I think that his policies are, especially on the things, the the areas where the president actually has the most power, uh, foreign policy and and trade and the rule of law. I I, I see him um, significantly to Joe Biden's left in in behavior, not just rhetoric.
1: Yeah, I mean, my own. Impression is, um, he reminds me of an, uh, a national, I guess, uh, economic nationalist, which, you know, smells of national socialism. Is that, is that the term I think? Um, yeah, exactly. And so the, 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 yeah. the
0: Nazis, the Nazis, you know, the left, leftists will try to say that the Nazis were right wing. And, you know, certainly on social issues, um, they had more of a theocratic bend. Um, they were not, you know, they were not the Marxist sort of, of socialists who believe in uh, atheism, <laughs> you know, right? right, right. Um, or an atheist state. Um, they, they were not liberals who believed in a secular state. They were you know, Christian socialists. That was a popular party in Germany. Um, and and and, uh, and and so, yeah, you, in the case of Hitler, you you know, whatever you think about whether he delivered on it, a lot of his voters, a big part of his movement were that were those Christian socialists. Um, so I th- I just think it's more, I think it's more complicated and buddy than than leftists who, cause you know, the, the, they also say things like, Oh, Stalin, was it a real leftist? Okay. You know what I mean? Like it's, no, no true Scotsman, I guess. Uh, there's not a whole lot that, that, uh, other than on social issues, which I don't consider anything other than wedge issues. And I don't think really fit on the economic left and right spectrum other than on social issues. There's not much that the Nazis did they they permitted people to keep private capital but only if they you know allowed the government to dictate how they were supposed to run their business in the interest of the collective it was it was racist socialism this is what it was i mean even even in um communist china they allow people you know private companies to exist they just say you better do what the chinese communist party wants you to do with it or or well you know your your right to own capital is very contingent
1: yeah i don't want to lose the part of um many that support Trump who believes are, you know, sticking a middle finger to the establishment or the mainstream media, you know, the way he goes after mainstream media or owning the libs. You know, I do think that there is a good portion of Trumpians that do support him for the, those reasons as well.
0: Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And I, I, I also I don't see those as different reasons. I see them as the same reasons, um, you know, that we, we have a liberal democracy. We have a capitalist society with a social safety net, right? Trump voters are much more pro-social safety net than actual right-wingers are. Um, You know, like people talk about far right. The far right would be there would be no Social Security. There would be no Medicare. There would be no welfare. There would be no public schools. You know what I mean? (laughs) That would be far right. They aren't far right. They're alt-right. Right. And if they were actually right-wing, you wouldn't need to put alternative in front of it. These are people who are motivated by their bigotry, their ex-Dixiecrats, um, and and who only became Republicans because they didn't like that uh, the Democrats uh, signed the Civil Rights Act. You know, we're not – from my perspective as somebody who is um, uh, both socially and economically classically liberal and believing in centering individual liberty and small government staying out of my business in both cases – um they're just about as far away from me as you could possibly get. They're some of the worst people in the country as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah. Definitely an argument for that. <laughs>
0: All right, so let's move on to a Trump win. This is this is going to be <laughs> So sit down if you're not if you're not seated. <laughs> what do you think will happen to the DNC? if donald trump uh wins election how will how will they react to that um what lessons will they decide that they need to learn and and how will that impact their their uh platform and their strategy and their position on the um political spectrum
1: well this is the basis of the what's called the accelerationist theory from the left the very reason why many on the left refuse to vote for biden um and enough of them Actually follow through on that and biden does not win um i think they're going to find this idea that trump having four more years is somehow going to as they call call it wake more people up and therefore lead to a progress a progressive or i would argue left in my opinion it's not really a progressive it's more of a radical left candidate to lead the helm um and the DNC primary is completely foolhardy and not well thought out, dangerous, really. Frankly, uh, I think instead what you'll find is uh, there will be a dissolution, of course, of the DNC. In one sense, in that there will be a lot on the left that will consider how can we break away from the Democratic Party. We've given them our last, you know, like chance. When in reality, they didn't because they didn't even vote for Biden. Uh, this is all made up in their head. Uh, But uh, of course, they would do everything in their power to utilize that to say, "Hey, look, this is a proof in the pudding that what we said is coming true." Uh, Biden didn't put forth any really left-wing policies, therefore, look, America doesn't want him. So, but instead, the DNC will most likely respond opposite to that because the DNC is smart. They go where the polls are. They go where the money goes. They go where the wins are. Uh, And if Trump wins. Um, and I'm using the term right wing loosely in the, in the way that the left understands Trump to be right wing. And I, I, I totally get all the points you made that Trump is not truly right wing. Um, I mean, he is to the that,
0: right of Trump on some issues I, I'm just, just saying on foreign policy and yeah. trade, um, and the rule of law, um, he's not it, the kind of small government fiscal conservative that I would associate myself with but yeah i agree that on you know on on some domestic issues trump is right of biden and, so and to, the issues on which biden is left of trump um are ones that i'm willing to compromise on hence my right, support right. Biden, you know I like agree health on health.
1: That. two two points i'd make uh to, to wrap it up um number one i would say the democratic party would instead begin to reconsider how much it actually wants to listen to the left uh because they're not showing up to vote for them anyway how much do they? Because I do think they made an effort in 2016 by opening up the primary to 20-something candidates, and about uh, a third of them were left-wing candidates. You know, from uh, Bernie Sanders to Marianne Williamson or whoever. So I, you know. I
0: take it you're not a progressive who believes the conspiracy theory that the Democratic Party rigged the election in favor of Biden Harris.
1: Now I'm not going to deny that maybe there was some, you know. This county or that county, but on the whole, no. I, I think that's blowing out of proportion. I think in every election you're going to find some, uh, you know, dirty work going on at some local level. You know.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I th- I think what happened, um, and I I think they were transparent about this actually, is that when you know, uh, the the centrist and establishment, um, and moderate, um, candidates coalesced around Joe Biden after South Carolina, and they were very clear about it. I'm dropping out and endorsing Biden because we need to come together um, behind a candidate uh, who isn't a socialist, essentially, is <laughs> their message. Um, and now, so something I like to say to to the actual left, um, to, to, to hammer this point home, is would you consider it corrupt and rigging if Elizabeth Warren had dropped out and said, hey, you know, we progressives need to coalesce around Bernie Sanders, in order to defeat the establishment, right? Or if Yang and Mary- Marianne Williamson had dropped out and endorsed Bernie Sanders, we know that Yang did support Bernie Sanders um, in uh, 2015, right? So that's not outside the realm of possibility. If that had happened, um, the left would have been thrilled with it and they would have said, hey, that's just strategy. There's nothing corrupt about that. Yeah, so absolutely. why is it corrupt when the other side does it? It's literally the same exact thing.
1: Yeah, I think, again, it's not understanding political history and That the DNC does have a number of, um, you know, FEC blesses ways of doing running their party. You know, it's it's politics 101. I think just a lot of people don't recognize or understand that. Right. Um,
0: Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is contrary to what the accelerationists on the left want, you think the Democratic Party would actually move right. And I, I think I see where you kind where that's coming from because it's like you know we we ran a moderate who compromised with the left and and ran and put forward some of the most progressive uh, policies, probably the most progressive policies that a major party candidate for president has ever run on. you know a public option for goodness sake, that's huge, right Decriminalizing marijuana. I mean this is a very progressive platform. So they ran yeah. this guy and he lost to someone that the D- Democratic Party sees as far right, right? So they're going to move right in order to be competitive because clearly that's the direction the country is going. That's what they're going to do. Well, I-, I think you're probably right about that.
1: Yeah, I think that would be the logical thing to do and the smart thing to do. That's where the money's going. That's when, where the polls are going. That's where the winds are going. Um, so um, there was some, some, something else I was going to add on that, but I had already forgotten it, but it was pretty important. But maybe it'll come up at some point. All right. Well,
0: if uh, we'll keep, just keep going. And if it comes up, uh, (laughs) you can say it. I can, I can, I can say my take and and maybe that'll jog your, jog your memory. But go ahead and finish yours first.
1: All right. So, um, we're still talking about the future
0: of the Democratic Party, um, after a Trump win.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it would make it extremely difficult for the Democratic Party from that point forward to, um, not go right because if they are trying to appeal to the left with more progressive policies you know like i shouldn't say progressive but more radical left policies uh then they're just hurting themselves because people that are tend to be younger tend toward more radical left leanings and those that are tend to be a little more older uh, they tend toward more moderate policies, and so it's sort of the trading one off for the other. And we know youth vote generally don't show up as consistently as do the yeah moderate, exactly. Or, or the so vote
0: your vote. So your argument, and I I think I agree with it, is basically that if they if they were to try moving far left, and it's not outside the realm of possibility that a far left candidate, um, or at least further left than 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 Biden's platform, right, which already includes a lot of compromises with the left. Um so if they if they if they were to nominate somebody like that, they would alienate so many liberals, right? Um, exactly. that they would basically be signaling, we are a socialist party, not a liberal party. And many, many, many liberals um would stop voting for the Democrats under those circumstances, exactly. especially since uh, in twenty twenty four, unless Trump managed to somehow get himself a third term, which I wouldn't put past him trying, he certainly would try. Um, they would if they're running against a more normal Republican, um, they're going to lose many moderate liberal voters. Mm-hmm.
1: And I would also add that given the nature of the radical left being so fractured, even within its own uh, group, uh, can't not being able you know, sort of their pure, uh, you know, puristic way of seeing policy, my way, the highway, you know, they can't even agree on, should it be Medicare for all or Medicare for all with a public option? Even if, you know, the it, let's say that Kamala Harris were to run uh, after Joe Biden lost, uh, and she said, well, let's go with Medicare for all with a public option, then all of the Bernie wing wouldn't vote for her. <laughs> on the other hand, if uh, she went with Medicare for all with a public option, then everybody that supports Um, I'm sorry, if she goes straight with Medicare for All, everybody that wants the private industry to be alongside a public option would not vote for her because that's the way they tend to look at things. They tend to look at through a myopic lens of what they call principled stand. Yeah,
0: yeah. And even right now, even with uh, the party just having moved um, slightly left on a couple of social issues, even though I think it's important to point out – um, or not so much social. Let's say domestic issues. Even with the party having moved moved slightly left on issues like healthcare, um, we're already seeing um, a, a lot of people who are saying, "Gosh, I really hate Donald Trump, but like, you know, I, I can't really get on board with this radical left wing agenda." You know, they they um, I think are wrong to consider Biden's platform radical. I don't think it is at all. I think Biden is the more conservative option in the sense of preserving what's good about the status quo and, and, and in fact, hopefully de-radicalizing people. But there are people already saying that. And so how, how many more are going to say that if the, if the democratic party does try to go full socialist? So I guess, yeah, I, I think you're right that the DNC and after a Trump win would probably move right. There would definitely be a push to try to get it to move left. If it does move left, um, then I think that's going to be bad for the party long Uh, and, and, uh, um, gosh, that would be the worst possible outcome because then from my perspective, you'd have to be, you'd be choosing between two illiberal parties, not even my perspective. I think that's just objectively true. You'd be choosing between fascism and socialism in that case, which is, which would be a nightmare. That'd be terrible. There's, there's nowhere for anybody who believes in freedom to, to be, if that, if that happens, that would be really bad.
1: And on the cultural issues, those two sides don't, they clash essentially. And it would be a formula for potential, I think further civil unrest, despite them agreeing on a number of economic policies that could lead to a type of civil war, yeah,
0: yeah, I think you're right. I mean, um to to put it in the blunt, not politically correct sense, elite elite people um on the center left and central central right, elite liberals, um classic liberals and social liberals, um agree on on. Policies like abortion, same-sex marriage, etc. Um, the the broadly speaking, the only people who really care about, who take a really strong radical position on those issues, who who take, for example, you know, like the uh, the radical radical uh, trans or radical feminist perspective as opposed to a classically liberal perspective on those subjects. Um, they're the working class, right? It's the working class of the of the hard left and 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 the alt right who are um, divided by these social issues, whereas elite liberals on the center left and center right pretty much all just agree on it's just essentially a live live and let live fo- philosophy. Mm-hmm. They, they I reject identity politics.
1: Mm-hmm. And I um, mean, what, of course, the one that.
0: exception to it is there are definitely some people in academia who you wouldn't call working class who who take the. The radical um, social justice perspective, but they're they're actually kind of class traders. They're they an exception. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they're yeah. they're uh, they've got more education than money. In any case, most of them don't get paid
1: very well. And since we are really catering this discussion to some extent, discussing the re- the left, you know, um, I would add that um, they would be at a major, major disadvantage in that um, civil. Um, I don't even social justice warrior uh, because you know you would have the police trump would have the police he would have the army he'd have the supreme court uh and a lot of i think you're right i think
0: it would be crazy uh, violence it'd be insane
1: it'd be so and and the left would be at a major major disadvantage because they're they're you know they a lot of them don't believe in you know like uh, owning a weapon where's the right does. I mean and, I, and, and also would, frankly, yeah, I um, would
0: be very I would be very sympathetic with um with with a lot of those people, right? Because again, I'm a liberal. I believe in individual liberty. I don't think the government should tell people who they can marry or whether or not you know they can get an abortion and that sort of that sort of thing. Right. Um and therefore, you know, if if you were dealing with a handmaid's tale kind of theocratic nightmare um i guess i would be temporarily aligned with the social justice warriors on some of those issues even though i in practice they want to take them way they want to take them to another extreme where they make everything all about identity and erase individuals completely yeah. and I, i'm not i'm bored with that vision but yeah i mean like i'm i'm you know i, I will be fighting against the handmaid's tale <laughs> Okay, I don't like this vision, um but like you said the democrats are too smart for that. That's not going to happen. What's going to happen well, is they're going to move right and the left will will the left will have shot itself in the foot yet again.
1: And I think it's important to say one last thing on that and is um you know the left is also hubristic to to think, you know, like okay, so Trump gets reelected, maybe even seeking a third, you know, these institutions uh, you know, these levers of democracy are going to be in place to um bring forth the, the the reform or the change or the revolution that they want you know be it ranked choice voting or whatever you know uh Donald Trump would be obstinately against anything that threat you know perceived threat of his power most definitely a third party you know um would be out the window you know that concept um, yeah yeah they're so no, just making it right much much up, much more steeply uphill for themselves by not voting Biden. And, you know, I'm not trying to guilt anyone to doing that, but if Biden loses, that, that's sort of, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, that's sort of what I see transpiring.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. Um, so what do you think happens to the RNC, um, and the, the short, middle and long-term in terms of their policy platform and their coalition and strategy and so forth? Uh, if, if Trump wins re-election? Hmm.
1: I I think that you're a good example of what would happen to the GOP in that instance. I think you would see a huge migration out of the the Democratic Party – I'm sorry, out of the Republican Party, um, either going independent or going into the Democratic Party. Yeah, especially Um, if the
0: DNC does move right. I think you're right. I think they would get every single liberal Republican if they don't already have us. I would stay with them, right? Remember how I said – like it's kind of funny – it um, sounds like I'm punishing the, the Democrats for, 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 for nominating Biden, but that's not true because I voted for Biden, right? But if Biden wins, I might register as a Republican just in order to try to influence that the Republican Party and the primary into and, and, and moderating on social issues and, and re-embracing fiscally conservative small government, uh, neoliberal and neoconservative policy essentially. Is what I would be pushing for, and for moving away from the theocratic nonsense that the working class cares about. Because, like you know, a capitalist party shouldn't be run by the working class. Um, you want some of their votes, um, but I, I I believe that I could actually make the case, and that could be a fun conversation for us to talk about in another episode, maybe. But I could make the case for why working class people should support economically right wing policy on its own merits, not just because it comes along with the the you know handmaid's tale theocracy that they they apparently want to live in. Mm -hmm. some of them about half of them it seems yeah
1: in the long term uh i think that you might find there might be a um point in which i don't know if it you know trump takes on the branding of what it means to be a republican and then um or something happens where they come up with a different party name, perhaps even, I don't know, but there, it it would just be so off the rails of what we understand it means to be a Democrat, I'm sorry, a Republican. Um, It would be really difficult for me to imagine anybody. Do you think there's any chance that some of
0: the, mm -hmm. do you think there's any chance that some of the, um, the Marxist style leftists who, who despite disagreeing with, uh, um, with the Trumpkins on social policies, might yes. actually, especially if the D, if the DNC moves right, maybe some of them would go over to the Republicans. I mean, is yeah, it, no, could I could we be seeing a shift where the Republican Party essentially becomes the new left wing party, so to speak? In that case, I
1: th- I wouldn't necessarily say that, but what I would say is there would be this false notion that we're working across the aisle that might, for a time. Uh, work. Uh, you know, that might be a pleasantry that will uh a facade, a pleasantry that would you know go on for maybe two or three years, whatever. But eventually, uh, I personally believe that it would implode and erupt into potential violence. You know, in the long term, because there's there's so much diametrical. Um, I don't know how to describe it, just they're so diametrically opposed in the social issues that I can't see how they could ever find a middle ground or any consensus. You know, that's interesting
0: because because I I, I was talking to a socialist on Twitter uh, about a week ago, I think it was, uh, so fairly recently. Um, And this person was basically saying, you know, all Democrats need to do um, in order to actually be able to win the votes of Republican Um, you know, kind of Trump supporting people um, is that they just need to, in in, in his, in, in his words, he called this moderating on social issues, meaning to stop, you know, defending a woman's right to choose and, and stop, you know, caring about the rights of LGBT people and that sort of thing. So here was a socialist, um, a Marxist style socialist, who's basically saying, you know, like, yeah, even though, you know, I, I disagree with Trump voters on social issues, I think that, you know, bringing the the proletariat together is more important. And I'm willing to, for the sake of strategy, throw, um, you know, the rights of women and LGBT people and Jewish people and you know religious minorities and so forth under the bus in order to get our, you know, our, our, uh, the unity of the pearls, so to speak, so that we can, you know, um, usher in our socialist future. And then maybe we can work out the social issues later. It's essentially what he was saying. And I could see people like him switching over to the Republicans, um, if the DNC moves right and, and the, the RNC triples down on Trumpism.
1: Yeah. I think that's un- unfortunate because people like that I feel are, naive, in the way, um, dynamics, you know, like you can't lie about what you support. Uh, Ultimately, it's going to come out, you know, like I think they're going to, you know, many of them, I think they have this, they don't really understand how hard fought a lot of these um, liberties have, you know, that we have, these rights and liberties that we have, how hard fought that was uh, to bring about. And I think they, they, they just have this notion that it's always been there and it's always going to be there. Uh, but, and so there's this sort of facade of pleasantry, like the Hill Rises. Yes, and, and it's worth pointing out
0: a lot of minorities were thrown under the bus, even by like the Soviet Union and so forth. Um, it's It seems exactly. to be something that the radical left is rather
1: willing to do I mean, it's um, not as though in many Trump, cases. It's, going to, it's not as though the Trump party or, or the mega are going to be like, oh no, we can't, you know, a good example is the proud boy has a uh, African American leading that group. That's the way it would be done. It would be. A way at which, you know, give, you know, let's put a black, a few black people. At, yeah, how could we uh, possibly be
0: racist if we have a black person in charge?
1: Right. But once we gain all the power and uh, then is when we go in, we start uh, discriminating. We start setting laws in place. You know, you have to behave a certain way. You know, then we start taking away your rights and your liberties. That's yeah, how no, I, I agree. Report. It
0: would be a pact with the devil. Um, but frankly, you know, the Republican Party coalition was also a pact with the devil. Others ever since the Southern Strategy, and 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 Trump's victory was the, you know, the um the devil coming home to roost.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, so that would be sad, uh, but I think that I I think that's at least something that's possible. You know, because the left has to go somewhere. Um, so, okay. Yeah. Now, so we've talked about the future of the DNC and the RNC in a Biden versus Trump win, Um, and there were some subtle differences and, and, our take on it. So let's, maybe we, we should each sum up our overall, um, I can do mine first and then you can tell me if there's anything you disagree with. How does that sound? <laughs>
1: that sounds great.
0: Yeah. So it, se- it se- seems to me that if Biden, uh, wins, um, that the democratic party, will, uh, will stay, um, kind of centrist, um, will try to work with the center left in order to de-radicalize the left. Um, and the Republican party, broadly speaking, would try to recenter on some small government fiscally conservative policies and maybe moderate a little bit on social issues, which is not a crazy thing to say because nationally, um, the, the, the support for the Republican party's, um, uh, theocratic social policies is, is, is very low already and shrinking, right? So it's just something they're going to have to do eventually. Um, so that, 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 that seems like the, a good overall uh, analysis of a Biden win right. versus a Trump, a Trump win. So I guess I, I would say like very broad, you know, very bluntly speaking, a Biden win would mean that the Democrats would remain the, the quote left-wing party, um, because it would be kind of center, center right to center left. Um, but leaning more toward the center left than it has historically. Um, and the Republican party would, would actually move right of where it is on trade and foreign policy right now. Um, and maybe um, moderate on social issues. So you'd, you'd still have the, the, the left, right alignment uh, maintained in that case. If a, if a Trump, if Trump wins, the DNC would probably move right. Um, it probably would, uh, would probably would um, be more center to center, right. Um, and but certainly not far right. Of course, uh, liberalism is, is never going to go far right uh, for a number of reasons, uh, ma- mainly just because they um, but for the reasons that the social liberal compromise happened in the first place, which is that it's necessary uh, to de-radicalize even moderates. You know, there wouldn't be as many moderates as there are if it weren't for the social liberal compromise. So I wouldn't expect the DNC to go far right. I would expect them to, to be kind of center to center right. And the Republican Party would triple down on Trumpism and have this weird mishmash of kind of uh, sort of radical lefty trade and uh, protectionism and uh, foreign policy isolationism um, with uh, theocracy um, and maybe get a little bit of the, the left to join them. But probably most Marxist lefties would just kind of stop voting or, or, or maybe throw behind um, an ill-fated third party. That's my overall analysis, and so in that case, the Trump, the you, with a Trump win, you you could almost see in a way, in a way, the Democratic Party becoming the new right wing party, or at least from the perspective of people who, who are economically right wing, if not socially, which again I think is a, a wedge issue that's not actually doesn't really belong on the left right spectrum. But that's my own personal political so um, political science analysis. There, uh, would you agree with that overall, or do you differ in some ways?
1: No, I think you said it very well, and uh, you know. Essentially, you're you're seeing a, a very reasonable, uh, tempered approach to doing some left uh, policies from a centrist DNC right, um, while at the same time uh, being mindful of the business portion of the of America. You know, uh, the elites, uh, the Republicans, and so I think it's it's a very moderate, mindful approach to. Uh, addressing the body politics, I think. Uh, in the what, case of a Biden I, win, you mean? In case of a Biden win, exactly. Um, and I think, as you said, I think- And, and, and also the re- Republicans would also be moderated by that. Exactly. I agree with that. And um, I think on the other hand, uh, as you said, Trump winning would be um, something that would, as I said earlier, I think a number of people would migrate out of the Republican Party, you know, um, that, you know, usually would identify as a Republican would say, I'm fed up with this. This is not, you know, what I know as what it means to be Republican. You know, this is nothing close to it. And at the same time, they would start to attract, as you said, some on the radical left, uh, anything they would consider quote unquote anti-establishment Trump. would Right. Yeah.
0: And as Lincoln party, um, Republicans moved to the DNC in that scenario, um, that would also help to move the DNC right because now you would have all of these right. experienced yeah. elite political operatives um, who are now working for the Democratic Party. Yep. All yep. right, that sounds good. Now, um, in closing, what would your ideal like? So, in, if you could just snap your fingers and say, "Okay, this is what the Democratic Party." you know, platform and, 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 uh, coalition would look like, and this is what the Republican party platform and coalition would look like. What do you think that would be ideal, um, in terms of being good for, um, in terms of being good for our democracy?
1: I have to be honest. I mean, it, it was very striking for me how well Biden thought that out. And, um, I think he provides a very nuanced, balanced, um, uh, Mindful approach to exactly what's needed to bring us back together, unite us, uh, as running as a Democrat and still respecting what it means to be a Democrat, not going fully over to the GOP, and, and uh, you know, bringing that balance that's needed to respect the GOP while at the same time respecting what it means to be a Democrat and still peppering it with uh, some left-wing policies. Um, so in that way, he has definitely, you know, spread his wings out like sort of a large umbrella of what you sort of know it means to be a Democrat, right? It, so I I can't really take from where we are right now in our um, sort of timeline, you know, with Trump in that timeline, I can't really think of a better way that I would approach what needs to be done than the way Biden has articulated it through his agenda and his platform. Yeah, I think
0: you're right. I think he's trying to save America. It really is about the soul of the nation. And as the Lincoln Party put it, it's America or Trump.
1: He really has done such a great job of listening to nearly any rainbow coalition of people you can consider, you know, whether you're on the right or the the, the left without, you know, going radical, right? Um, and the sensible people that will realize that and come out to vote for him, because I think the sense of people yeah, who are going, yeah. to, it's going I, to keep I, I America think, I
0: think together. I think Biden will de-radicalize. I um, the a lot of the left and also a lot of the alt right. I think you're right about that. Now, um, in
1: terms of the GOP, did you want to first speak to the Democrats and then? Uh,
0: uh I I guess what I'm just saying is like I I just generally speaking ideally what would you want the two coalitions to look like? So it sounds like you're saying you'd want the DNC coalition to kind and and platform to essentially be what Biden is trying to build.
1: For for now in the long term uh I would like to see them open up a little more to um things like UBI um you know making it more clear that we have many different ways we can approach a more solutions oriented and being able to speak more to the educating the left about how politics works and, uh, what are the challenges on the floor? Um, you know, really inviting that discussion with the left and not catering to everything that they want, but more, um, Putting the the different options on the table and having an open discussion about that, rather than just pushing, this is how it is. You know, it's going to be this, and if you don't like it, then don't vote for us. You know, uh, right,
0: right. So, so um, they um, can do that by Biden's inviting approach, but broadened to include some new ideas. Like
1: well, more the voices in in that discussion, which I think he's done some, but I think if he were to bring Yang into the cabinet, he'd point Bernie in some position uh, that has some weight, uh, maybe the health, I don't know, department, something like <laughs> that. I think that. <laughs> I know, that's not something you want to hear, but, um, coming from more from the left than you. Um, I think a lot of people would love to hear that. Right. Um, I don't think that there is this any kind of, um, concern. Uh, it, I would, I would argue there's no, there really is not a concern that, Biden is going to suddenly turn into a socialist, or he's going to suddenly take on a you know. No, transm- I think you're absolutely right about. Transmorfing to Bernie it's, one day, and you wake up. Insane. and insane. People who
0: think Biden. that are crazy.
1: They're totally crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's just outrageous. But Biden has been consistently capitalist through the course of his 47 years in politics. And he's also
0: been consistently bipartisan and is really respected across the aisle. You know, I, I think that in a Biden win, of course, there's going to be a lot of obstructionism from the Republicans, but I think you will see much less obstructionism from the Republicans than, than you would if, say, Bernie Sanders were president.
1: The most important thing is Biden is fundamentally a capitalist and he would never do anything to, uh, you know, like interrupt that or... Um, Make that insecure i think that's the key all right everything and so then
0: bring- about the republicans oh i'm sorry go ahead and finish your thought and I'm then tell me what your ideal for the republicans you know, like would just be.
1: opening up to, you know opening up more bringing more voices on um to represent a more diverse coalition of uh ideas not necessarily that you're going to take those ideas and run with them but more that you are showing that you are interested in hearing and considering different ways of, of, of finding solutions
0: all right. And then the Republicans. So in this, if if the DNC is your ideal, which is like basically Biden's approach, but broadened a lot um, and to include more uh, newer, um, better ideas like Yang's. So if that's your ideal uh, for the future of the DNC, what would your ideal for the future of the RNC be? And, and because, of course, you know, we both believe that one party rule is bad and democracy is Uh, good. So in the interest of having a viable alternative, um, for the sake of uh, the democratic process, what would you want to see the RNC be like?
1: I would like to have them, uh, restore their, um, as you were saying, classical liberal character, uh, and show that they are interested in expanding, um, their tent, to include more people, you know, recognizing being responsible and accountable. Like, like possible.
0: immigrants and, uh, exactly. and, 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 and frankly, women who they're, they're alienating in front of a right fear, now. A fear, a fear kind people of. People of color in general.
1: Yeah. Move away from a fear of politics and more toward, uh, you know, what I've always known conservative, um, Eisenhower, uh, Lincoln, Roosevelt were optimistic and they they talked about, you know, everybody is here and let's all work together to find
0: Reagan. Heck, even George W. Bush.
1: <laughs> right. you know Just a compassionate conservatism. Even that's another way of maybe saying that um, people people forget that Bush was a moderate on immigration. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely, I'm not asking the GOP to open up the borders. You know, that's crazy. And I don't even think the Democrats are saying that, you know, uh, but. I would say that I completely understand. I would talk more from the standpoint of assimilation, and less from the standpoint of illegal immigration and and sort of scapegoating people. Um, yeah, you want I,
0: to you want to incentivize people to immigrate legally, uh, not not shut down the borders.
1: Right. Speak more from encouraging legal immigration and less on scapegoating the people that are illegal because it it sounds like you
0: and I kind of agree about our ideals for the parties for the most part. That's interesting.
1: And a a kind of, uh, not necessarily that we're not hearing you, the traditionalist part, because you can't, you can't go out and eradicate that. You can't just like push them away and they have no place. Maybe you can. Some people might agree with that, but I personally, you know, I'm a Christian, um, maybe a different take on what that means. It could be sort of posited out there, um, because well, I, mean,
0: I I would just say like secularism I think we
1: need to be the answer, right? Right, secularism with respect to religion, not pushing religion. I think is another one. Um, that I think that ultimately, in many ways, I think is responsible for the radicalization of the. Oh yeah, faith. no,
0: I don't. I don't think any politician should should speak the way I speak. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I I I don't worry. I'm not that worried about alienating people. Um, if I was looking for people's votes, I'd be more worried about it.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that's it. And open up a little more to, uh, rather than demonizing everything of socialism, uh, instead say, listen, this is why we think this way works better, but I'm, I'm open to hearing, you know, uh, finding consensus with you. Uh, that's the way I think they will find the greatest success.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, just to rephrase it um, in another way. I think that the ideal is first of all, Biden winning is going to put us much closer to this ideal than Trump winning. Trump winning is going to send us as far away from this ideal as our country has ever been. Um, I
1: agree
0: with that. But uh, Biden winning, okay. So we've talked about what is likely to happen. What my ideal is is possible. It's a possible future if Biden wins, but it's not guaranteed, and it depends on a lot more than just Joseph Biden. Uh, but basically, I would want the Democratic Party to be center left. Uh, so a little bit more on the social side of the social liberal compromise that we already have, um, that people call social democracy, and I would want the Republican Party to recenter on the center right, give up on all of the radical left stuff that they've been toying with, um, moderate on social issues, um, but still be respectful um, and uh, and and then basically essentially be the you know more on the liberal side of the social liberal compromise. That's what I would want to see, and then I'd like to see the two sides work it out. Because, um, you know, sometimes the other side has some valid points. And when we, we close ourselves down from conversation, uh, we miss out on the opportunity to learn from the other side and to grow. Uh, and of course, that's what this podcast is all about.
1: Beautiful. I can't all right. Uh, want? I have a problem with, with everything you just said.
0: <laughs> and, you know, for example, we could be having conversations about how should we be funding the UBI? How large should the UBI be? Um, you know, those, those sorts of conversations as opposed to, you know, like, should we have a government and should we seize private capital? Right. right? Like those things uh, should be beyond the pale. They should not be um, welcome. Um, we we don't, you don't even have to call it the Overton window, just in the, the the window of what is permitted under liberalism, broadly speaking, is where I want to see the parties.
1: Yeah. I mean, the way I kind of think of, um, Western like a way of um i I don't know how to describe it really other than to say i guess politics is its moved from dogmatism in the 19th century over to idealism in the 20th century and now going into the 21st century i really think it's about pragmatism you know
0: i hope so if biden wins it will be in both parties both parties will be more pragmatic
1: and it's not that we can't still have ideas uh, but without pragmatism, you know, I think that's a dangerous recipe in a 21st century matrix.
0: All right. That all sounds amazing to me, Josh. Is there anything you want to say before we wrap this up?
1: No, I just appreciate you bringing me on and valuing my voice and, uh, anybody, uh, interested, you can find me on new progressive voice and on Twitter. Um, um I think it's, I keep forgetting, but I think it's Joshua NP, NPV. Yeah, I
0: believe, I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah. As I said at the outset of this, definitely check out his YouTube channel, New Progressive Voice, um, and highly recommend um, the conversation that he had with me about if liberalism isn't the problem, what is, Um, and emphasis on the what is. We spend a lot of time talking about what the real problems are, and it's not that our society is
1: liberal. Oh, yeah. And one other thing, (laughs) Leo, uh, just because people might not realize, it is a series of videos. Uh, so we'll be doing one roughly every three to four weeks, and I think we committed to at least four videos in that series. And,
0: and Josh amusingly named it the series pro conservative
1: I'm glad you said that because I can't even say it myself. Even though oh, I it's your
0: name, but you can't say it. <laughs> right? Say that ten times fast.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! Please don't.
0: <laughs> All right. How about this? Moving forward,
1: what is it, is, Josh? Moving forward is our gumbo. That's right. It is our gumbo. This is Josh from New Progressive Voice. So, thank you very much for listening in to Rio and our discussion about progressivism. So, definitely go over to movingforwardpod.com to support the cause to consensus building building bridges is more vital than ever so definitely check them out